0: Welcome to the People of Packaging Podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peak and Ted Tate.
1: I am uh, so stinking excited, Camille, to be able to. uh, We've had a couple of conversations. You've been on the virtual happy hour. Uh, You provide just so much joy in life and knowledge. Uh, to to this industry and uh, it's it's a really exciting thing for me to be able to talk to you I know a lot of people would get really excited about talking to you know Thanks. whatever fill an athlete or whoever it is but it's cool to talk to somebody who's been uh, active in the packaging community for so long and still has so much energy and excitement around it so um, I'm with Camille Chisholm if you don't know uh, if you don't know Camille you are about to uh, so Camille, thanks for being on the podcast and uh, trying out this video interview format. Um, why don't you uh, take a few moments and do your own introduction uh, on who you are and what's important to you?
0: Sure, my name is Camille Core Um I have been in packaging for about thirty years. I started off as a packaging went to Michigan to Michigan State, majored in packaging. And fell in love with it, and did my first internship at Kraft Foods. It was wonderful, and I just knew that was my path. so I finished up school, graduated, worked for food, um, distribution, technology, I did some sales, finally ended up in automotive, and after thirty years decided I wanted to you know hang my own shingle and share my knowledge with companies and, you know, go from there. So I've been doing that full time as an LLC for a little bit over a year. Okay. wonderful.
1: So, um, let's even rewind Pat, because, uh, you know, I think what, what percentage of packaging engineers do you think went to Michigan state? It's gotta be a high percentage in the U S.
0: Yeah. I think when, when I was at Michigan state, it was, it was, Probably, I would say at least 25-30% because Michigan State was the first packaging school. Okay. Now, we've got a lot of proliferations of quite a few schools we have. Um, you know, schools where you can major in engineering and get a packaging focus. You, you know, have schools that have graphics background that you can, you know, focus on packaging. And then with supply chain as well, a lot of people will mm-hmm. focus on that. So, there are quite a few schools that offer it now. So that percentage has definitely um, gotten smaller, but it's, I think packaging is the third largest industry, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That's what I've heard. And I just keep saying it. So I'll just, I'll just speak that truth into the universe and we'll
0: see. (laughs) Um,
1: So let's go back even before then, where, um, where did you grow up and how did you, did you accidentally decide on packaging or how did that Nobody. Very few people are like. This is what I want to do when I grow up.
0: Yeah. So okay, I'm gonna go way, way back. Take so, it
1: all the way back.
0: Way back. So way back. okay, my father was an engineer. Okay. And he he had calculators. Like he, had, we had a, we actually had a computer before we had a colored TV. Wow. So he was really into technology and, and learning and math. And he would just sit and do math for fun. We thought he was going work home. Yeah. He said, no, I just like to do math. So that was kind of the background that I had. And then I found out recently that apparently engineers go back like five generations in my family. Hmm. So it was kind of, you know, them being in, 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 in Detroit, uh, from Detroit, which was one of your questions, yep. being from Detroit with automotive engineers are everywhere i mean you know we have engineering programs they start off in preschool with engineering so it's just sort of second nature it's not a you know i mean it's not a big deal in detroit the way it would be maybe in another city because engineers are needed so i i love art i wanted to be an artist in high school i took a lot of art classes i even took art classes at the college level i had actually a piece of art that was um at a student showing every year, they do it at the Detroit Institute of Arts, okay. and one of my pieces was displayed there. So I was really on the road to being an artist. And then my father, back to my father, the engineer, he said, "Who's paying for art school?" And I thought, "Yeah, I think I might want to rethink that." So I went off to Michigan State, and I started off as a math major, and I was taking, I was exploring, what do I like? I was definitely on a journey of Self-discovery. I took art. I took theater. I took chemistry. I took calculus I took a little bit of everything,
1: right? That's kind so of what I college always, is
0: here, right? Yeah, and, and that's what I figured and I would ask people hey, you know Tell me about a class that you took that was interesting, you know, and I always take something You know, I kind of get feedback from people and that was and someone mentioned this packaging class as an elective And I took it and I thought this is really fascinating Mm-hmm. And I went to the counselor, you know, to, and say, what do I need to do to be in this program? And they said, well, you need calculus and physics and chemistry. I'm like, okay, I got that. And you need psychology. I'm like, oh, I got that. I took psychology classes and they were like, you need a speech class. I said, what's well, a theater. and They said, yeah, if you've done class public speaking, we'll take that. So I was really in the program already and didn't hmm. know it. So when I signed up into the program, you know, when I switched my major, it turned out that all I needed were the packaging courses, a couple of business courses, and microbiology, which I'm using a lot right now. Huh? Yeah. Washing my hands and all that good stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so I was really pretty much in the program without just organically. And um, then like I said I did my internship, and and I just thought this is this is really really. This fun. is where you want to be. It's mm-hmm. it's kind so of a yeah. similar.
1: It, it's you kind of have a similar story to Ted if you've met Ted Tate, who helps me co-host the podcast. Um, he had he had kind of a similar inkling growing up, um, where he loved he he loved engineering and kind of the analytical side, but he also loved the artistic side, and he saw packaging mm-hmm. as a way to merge both of his loves, which is which makes a lot of sense to you and I sort of having taken the, whatever the red pill, I don't know what it is in the matrix, but we've taken the pill mm-hmm. and we've gone down the packaging rabbit hole. Uh, yes, And, and so that makes sense, but probably to people who aren't familiar with the industry, they'd be like, is that it? Like that's, that's what it was, but it makes so much sense because you get to do both.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I call it the packaging bug and you know, I've seen it throughout my career. You get someone that, you know, they started off in industrial engineering or mechanical engineering and they had to do packaging as part of their job. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, they switch over there, you know, join IOPP and they go get their masters in packaging. I've seen it over and over and over again, people yeah. get that packaging bug and they just fall in love with it.
1: Yeah. So you've been, um, like I said, I I've got, you've got Kraft and GM and ConAgra and UPS, Um, these are some really, uh, and then you got an automotive packaging like you've, and it's not, you've just been in the industry and been so impactful in the industry. Um, did you, did you end up kind of falling back in love with the automotive side and why you've sort of focused there? Obviously being in Detroit, that would make sense.
0: Um, so, okay. So GM was actually a high school job and I, I was, it was a biomedical science and, Long story, they were looking for an artist, but I ended up Oh yeah, I see that. work for them. So that was my first round, you know, kind of understanding automotive. Um, a bunch of us from high school co-ops, they would they came to my high school, look for co-ops, and we, we carpooled up there, every, you know, every day. Yeah. You know, we spent half the day working and half the day in school. So it was a great senior year. Uh, one of my friends, her job was to, you know, work with the test track. So, you know, we kind of compare stories. Yeah. But, yeah, for me, it, getting back to Detroit um, was part of the reason, just, you know, coming back home. Um, Detroit, I don't know if you've ever been to Detroit, but Detroit has some beautiful architecture.
1: Yeah, I've heard, yeah. Great I
0: home, not, residential. Mm-hmm. I've never been. Yeah, so, it, you, know, you know, you hear all the stories about Detroit, but Detroit has always had, like I said, a lot of engineers, There are many people that are, you know, comfortable and affluent and, you know, a great network of people in Detroit Mm -hmm. with automotive. So that's how I got back to Detroit. I decided it was time to come back home. Um, This is actually like my second tour back because I decided now to come back as the city's gentrifying Mm -hmm. and, you know, just come into the city as it's growing. Work with automotive companies and then also work with a lot of the startups because there are quite a few incubators here, yeah and I have a passion for startups to help them with their packaging
1: that's awesome and and that's one of those areas that's probably incredibly underserved um, you 've got a lot of packaging you know manufacturers who like I work for one, and we have minimum order quantities that just can't even be hit yes. and so to yes. to be able to partner to partner startups who need packaging. It's, it's not like it's less important. Um, and to have a consultant like yourself to be able to step in and, and really probably save them not just money using your, you know, your Rolodex, Mm -hmm. but also just the amount of time that it would take. I I remember when I did sourcing uh, for a packaging company and I didn't really know what I was doing. And so it was like, you're just Googling stuff and you're sort of fingers crossed that this is going to work. Uh, but to be, to, to place a level of certainty, uh, for a company that really needs certainty in this area, um, I'm sure is, is incredibly valuable.
0: I, yeah, I agree. I think for me, part of what spurred that was, I sold packaging at one point Mm -hmm. and the accounts that I went in where they didn't have a packaging person and there were certain companies that were selling them packaging. I knew walking the door. I can get that account just by giving them standard pricing. Yeah. Still have enough margin, still make a living, but I didn't have to overcharge them and right. they would easily switch over because they were saving so much money. Mm-hmm. So, that's one of the reasons too. You know, I see that there's a need for smaller companies that you know helps to give them some leverage for negotiation, also picking packaging that will work for them, you know, looking long-term, building, you know, their plan. You know short term, maybe you have two flavors, maybe you want to expand to five flavors. Are you going to have to you know are you going to actually use all that packaging or are you going to have to throw that away at some point because right. now you 've got ten flavors and you've changed your logo, you change your color scheme, you know those sorts of things and yeah, you bought the the packs for a penny overseas and you had to buy a lot twenty thousand right. thirty thousand of them but you never use them. So in the end, how much money have you saved?
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and that, yeah, we see that uh, again, we could, we could probably talk for, for a while about that, but it, cause it is, it's so true. It's all over the place. Um, so we, you and I have discussed this before. Um, and, and that is the, the genesis of this podcast, uh, was really, Ted and I connected at a Pack event um, over a a mutual love of hip hop music, which was not the easiest connection to make at, I'm I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. It's just, it was, it was a really great connection and we had a, we had a few adult beverages and became good friends and uh, (laughs) we'll leave it at that. But, uh, and then we just started talking um, throughout the weeks and stuff like that. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: just, and, and I remember talking to Ted and you know, Ted grew up in the Bronx. Uh, he's African American. And I just, I was saying, hey, you know, I go to all these industry events and I just, I, I, there, there's a real diversity problem, it would seem. But I wanted to make sure. I said, is this, is this something that, I, am I, is this just a perception? And he was, and all of a sudden it was like the stories that came out. And I talked to another, you know, another gentleman and he was telling me stories about, it just, just awful, horrible things. Um, and so, for you, was growing up in in automotive with an engineering family in Detroit. Do you think that that's um, been been probably helpful? Because you did you have representation, or did you really feel like you were also, you know, breaking down some some glass ceilings as both a female and a minority in a space that's really dominated by a lot of people who look like me to be honest.
0: Yeah. So I guess for me, I thought I was normal because of where I grew up and the experiences and, you know, who I saw growing up and it wasn't really focused on or emphasized, but it was also pretty diverse because the high school that I went to, you know, Detroit is 80 something percent Mm African-American. So of course, you know, just looking at the demographics, that's what you see mostly, but you know, we, I had classmates from all over, you know, all different backgrounds. So it wasn't a big deal for me. Like when I went off to school, you know, it wasn't like I had never seen anyone that wasn't like me before. Right, right. It wasn't a big deal. So I'll say that in my career that I, I'll forget I'm black and people will remind me that I'm African-American or remind me that I'm female. And I'm like, I'm just doing my thing, having a good time at work. Yeah. And someone stop and want to make a comment or make an assumption. Um, I was offered drugs once from someone, a manager years ago. And when I said I'm doing do drugs, their response was, but you're black. And I'm like, mm. I, don't, I don't get that. Yeah. So, yeah, there are lots of stories like that. And I try not to focus on it. I try to, sure. you know, just, you know, be the best me, work hard, have my credentials, Um, and like I said, if, if I'm busy working and doing what I'm supposed to do, I don't really have time to focus on the slights. You know, sometimes I've actually had non-African American friends tell me, yeah, you, you know why that happened, don't you? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I don't don't know what's wrong with them. And they're like, it's it's because you're African American. I'm like, what do you mean? So I've actually had. You know, my non-African-American friends tell me that that's what's going on. So, you know, and I've had jobs where I found out that I wasn't making as much as someone with 10 years less experience as me and only one degree where I have two degrees in packaging because I, Mm -hmm. you know, went to RIT and went back and got my master's. So I've had that experience more than once where I know that other people with less experience. less education and you know have made more money so you know I learned over the years how to counteract that Um, I have a friend that is at a c-suite level and you know we've had lots of conversations we we actually grew up in the same neighborhood went to junior high and high school together but I didn't really become friends with him until college Mm -hmm. and you know we still keep in touch and you know what you know what kind of things can i do when it comes time to negotiate because you know you hear the articles to say well women don't ask for more well as far as salary yes when every time i've gotten a job and it's negotiation time you know i ask i always ask more more money i'm the person that when i go to buy a car i don't leave until someone's at the dealership is mad and it's not me (laughs) so i definitely ask for more yeah. And you know, usually it's like maybe a thousand dollars more. But not near, you know, parity. So I, you know, had some really good discussions with that friend on, you know, what to say, how to phrase it. It was very helpful and a ma you know, who to talk to, when to talk to them, and that coaching was priceless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it really did bring my salary up to par very quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. Have
1: you been, have you been able to take that and uh, sort of pay that forward? Because I think that that's something that's, I mean, what, what an incredible resource to have. Um, you know, we, I'm a big believer in coaching. Um, I have people that I, like I coach basketball for a sixth grade basketball team. So I love that form of coaching, but also in the business world, I have people that I go to all the time for coaching advice, it, maybe not as in perpetuity, um, have you started to see, and have you had other people within the packaging world, um, you know, come and ask you for advice? Now, do you feel like you're the a conduit of the the help that you have received um, from that from that coaching?
0: Definitely, I do. You know, I think LinkedIn has been really great. I mean, like you know, we met on LinkedIn, and right. it's it, I get leads from LinkedIn. It's been great but I do also get people reaching out saying, Hey, you've been in packaging for all these years. I have some questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've had, um, had someone recently, um, she's graduating this year and she's, you know, going to get her master's, um, in packaging, but she just got her undergrad in packaging. You know, she's trying to determine, do I go into the work world now, or do I get this master's degree that's paid for? I'm like, yeah, I think <laughs> you already know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, just, you know, great. I'm getting, you know, great people that are on the right track. But, you know, I look back to, you know, when I was that age, would it have been nice for someone to, what, what would I have wanted to hear, you mm-hmm. know, and try to tailor it to today, because things are really different now, not just with COVID, but just the perspective of, Student coming out of school. So I, you know, I try to, you know, look at those things, but be open. If people reach out to me, I'm I'm always open to helping because I know that it's priceless. That's been
1: one of my favorite things about, about the packaging industry has been that I think everybody who's in it recognizes what a special industry it is. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot of people who know about it, but it is, it's a very tight knit group of people. And I have not really run across anybody who's who's saying no. I don't. That I, I can't, I'm not going to help you with that. They may say I don't have time, and I certainly recognize that. But it's typically followed with, but maybe you want to reach out to so and um, so, yes. because it's yeah. it's just it's a very collaborative uh, group that just as I keep meeting more people in this industry, I just keep finding it's not getting less collaborative. People still love to hang out and talk with one another. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the same in other industries.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's the same either, but I, I always joke that everyone in packaging that, you know, we we all know each other and we're all double cousins because <laughs> <laughs> you, no matter how you talk to anyone for five minutes and if you focus on, let's see who we know, yeah. you can play that as a, an icebreaker game. And within five minutes, you're going to know someone well, that they know well. Oh yeah. The industry is so tight knit. And I mean, I think it's great because it it's great for networking. It's great for collaboration. Um, if you need something, if you're trying to figure out something, if you're looking for a new package, it doesn't take long to find it. Yeah, And I, and I do think that it might, I think other industries are like that to a certain extent, but I've noticed that, you know, when I've done packaging for companies, one of the things they'll say is, you know, everybody. And I'm like, I don't know everybody, you know, but I think it's because packaging is so collaborative.
1: Yeah. And it touches so many parts of a business. I mean, it's, it's interacting with marketing, branding, sales, supply chain, finance, legal, R&D, you know, regulatory, it, it, it all sort of, i mean it's why I love what I do is because i just i get to interact with so many different personalities solving very specific problems across a wide range of mm-hmm. subsections um i think it's yeah but but I've never worked for like a u p s or um so it's cool to hear that also from from the inside
0: yeah that u p s was fun I was there and, yeah what well, was it was a little while ago I'll just say it was when um e commerce was first starting. Yeah. And people, companies, what they were doing, they would take a pallet, pull a box off a pallet, and then ship it UPS. So now you got this box designed for a full pallet load on a truck being shipped individually in a different uh, manner.
1: Yeah.
0: And like I said, I'm not going to tell you how long it was, but the movie The Cable Guy was out.
1: Okay. Was it hey. With Jim Carrey. Oh, I remember it.
0: Cable and he's guy. kicking the box and I, I would go visit these companies and they're always like, I saw the cable guy, you guys just throw these boxes and kick them everywhere. And I would, you know, Oh, Hey, just want to let you know <laughs> that the box is designed for pallet load and now you're shipping it on shoots and people aren't throwing the boxes, but you know, they're getting compressed from the side now mm-hmm. instead of being compressed from the top and the bottom. And, you know, gently educate people, Explain that you know either you can beef up your one pack or you can have a separate pack for right. a totally different environment, and you know that was kind of like my first foray into a sales list type job, but it was a lot of fun because I got to see how oh, so many things were made you know sporting goods uh bullets mm-hmm. what else? Um, hurdles t- labels for clothing. You know, I just, just so many different things. It's um, crazy. Yeah. RVs, just a little bit of everything. So you really have to think on your feet and understand, you know, you have to, that's one thing I love about packaging. You have to understand how things are made and how do they work? Who's yep. the end user? What raw materials are coming in? How do those materials interact with each other? You know, it, it's, it's just so, you know, you have to look at everything. So and and it probably came again from my dad cuz when we were kids he would take us on Saturday mornings to tour automotive plants for fun. Yeah. So hey, there's nothing know, wrong was, with that. That was, you know, that was always there and you know you get to do the same thing in packaging when you go and you say, you know, how does this whole system work and how does the packaging fall into that.
1: There's a guy that I follow here on on LinkedIn his name's Keenan and he does like sales training. He's on in the packaging industry. Um, but he has a really cool phrase that I think about a lot and he calls it fearless curiosity. Um, and, and he, he applies it to the sales context, which is, is certainly true. You have to be fearlessly curious, but I also think about that in the packaging perspective, because if without that, I think we, we cause physical damage. I mean, we can literally, I remember once, uh, I saw something designed and, None of the boxes made it. It was a retail box, and the engineer did not do any testing, and it got to the retailer. And I don't mean I don't mean like small data. I mean every single box was destroyed, and nothing could be put out oh. on the retail shelf. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an extreme example, but it's you know they they lost their curiosity. They lost the the that that side of them that really wanted to to draw that out and understand, and they probably just. You know, took something and, you know, made a tuck top auto bottom and said, yep, this will work and then sent it out the door, Um, which is, which was sad. It was sad for that company, obviously, because they lost a lot of money.
0: Yeah. And that's another thing I love about packaging because it's really like physics meets reality. You know, you, Mm. you have to have the understanding of it and kind of the basics and how it works. But with packaging, it's outside of that vacuum and you're actually really you really need to see how things work and really um, go and and just see what it looks like and test it. You know, you can do calculations all day. Calculations will kind of give you an idea of the direction that you're going, but to just go, like you said, buy a tuck top bottom box, it's not, you know, you, you really have to test it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so you had mentioned something. Uh, obviously, we've talked about uh, we're in this this COVID quarantine. Um, I and I'm curious, and this is this has been an interesting question to ask people, and I've been asking them as kind of part of um, this. I, I call it my my collaborative my co nineteen. Um, but so in so in Utah, we had a we had an earthquake right at the start of the pandemic. Like shook my house. Uh, nobody, luckily there was nothing serious that happened, but it, it was a legitimate earthquake, like three days after we put on lockdown. And I was like, this is the last thing any of us wants to worry about mm-hmm. is an earthquake now. And then afterwards we had these aftershocks. So, um, and you could feel the aftershocks and I'm wondering if you take that analogy and you say, well, COVID-19, what is an earthquake and it is shaking up. Everything, I mean, every part of business is being shaken up by this. So, but then the question isn't, I mean, I, I think the question persists of, well, what are the aftershocks going to be like for the packaging industry? Um, you know, you're 30 years of experience in in packaging. You've seen, you've met some incredible people, I'm sure. You've been able to work on some amazing projects. You have tremendous insight into the industry. So what do you foresee um, it could you could focus on automotive or you could just in general discuss what are what are some of these aftershocks that you think might be coming that we ought to be looking out for that brands ought to be looking out for.
0: OK, you probably have to stop me because, you know, I can talk about packaging all day so okay. I'm, you have to stop me. But I think for one is going to be, you know, supply chain. So when you look at the supply chain, anything that has a shelf life or is perishable the supply chain has been interrupted and where they're, you know, people are normally holding things that has a, maybe a shelf life of 18 months. They're used to holding it 18 months and now it's going to go past that. So, you know, are they going to be able to track that and pull that out? Um, or now we're going to be looking at developing packaging that has a longer shelf life. Um, yeah. Second thing is going to be um, packaging as it relates to food. And you know, people touching it, and you know, is it is mm. it sterile? Is it antiviral? Is it does it have antibacterial properties? So you know, those sorts of things, or how do people handle it? Um, you know, the there we were really on a big push for sustainable packaging, but right now that's kind of gone to the wayside because people are buying you know, yeah, things that are packed instead versus so much fresh stuff. Um,
1: Let me ask you a question on that. So, when you talk about um, when you're talking about the food packaging, obviously there's a lot of attention that's paid to the inside if it's coming in direct contact with food, because then you eventually put that food into your body. And so that, but you're even saying that you foresee the outside having some type of uh, like because if somebody goes into a grocery store, I've never ever 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 in my whole life thought. I wonder how many people have touched this. Birch Fender's stand-up pouch.
0: I, I had that this morning. Did you? Um, I did.
1: Yeah. Shout out to uh, I think her name's Lizzie. It's their Colorado company. But like I've never thought how how many people have touched this? And then I was in a store and I was like, ah how many people have touched this bag? Like I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, and see with 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 the packaging and taking that microbiology class, yeah. Even before they started telling us all the things to do, I was immediately like, okay, um, we shouldn't bring this in the house. I'm dumping things out of the bag. I'm like, someone touched the bag. You know, the the bagger touched the bag because I didn't do the self checkout at that store. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking stuff and putting it in the hallway and dumping it out of the bag and throwing the bag away before going to the house. And my daughter's looking at me like, You've completely gone bonkers, mom. You've gone nuts, yeah. And then, about two weeks later, they, you know, there's a video about the guy wiping down everything before he brings it in. She was like, "Okay, I guess that wasn't just you, mom."
1: I guess you're not so so crazy.
0: Yeah, so I think there is going to be a focus on that about, you know, what gets touched and how does it get touched. Um, Another thing is, you know, a shift with e-commerce. So you know mm. we're going to see even more packaging that's getting delivered i mean just be right before this i okay piece of advice away from packaging <laughs> don't gut your kitchen right before a pandemic <laughs> okay <laughs> so i gutted my kitchen i was getting ready to get it done and then with all the supply chain issues things aren't here yet oh, so man. Um, I just got three bags of cement delivered and the guy, he was le- literally just going to leave them on the front porch. I just happened to be by the window and I saw an arm on my porch and I'm like, what is that? So I go look and he's putting these like, and they got to put them in the side door. So, we're going to see more packaging I think as it relates to e-commerce now because mm-hmm. people are saying, Oh, I can order this online. I don't have to get it. You know, I don't have to go to the store and get it now. So we're going to oh, see yeah. less retail packaging for sure.
1: I saw, uh, I don't remember where the article was from, but, um, I'll, I'll look it up and maybe I'll link to it here on, uh, whenever this goes, goes mm-hmm. out there, but it was like a semi that was a mobile grocery store. Did you see this thing?
0: No, I didn't have to look that up. And it would
1: roll into a neighborhood. I think it was a conceptual idea. I don't know if it's actually happening, but it had the data of what this neighborhood wants. And then once a week it would roll in and then you'd come out of your house and it would just go house to house, to house, to house, to house. house, And you go out and you buy all your stuff. I'm sure you pay a really stupid premium for it. But I, I was like, is that, I don't, I can't see that scaling very
0: well. It sounds like a mix between when I lived in Texas and the people would come by with the box truck full of meat and say, oh, buy yeah. meat. And people would buy the meat off the truck. You see that? And then yeah. the food truck. It sounds like a mix between the yeah. food truck and that. I don't, I, you know, probably in upscale neighborhoods, I could see that, you know, maybe like the villages in Florida where you get people that, you know, they don't necessarily go off shopping as much. We'll probably see it more in like senior communities, yeah. you know, over 55 communities. I could see that being there because they don't have to go to the store. Communities where they live and they take the, they might take a shuttle bus and do a shopping trip,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, together. Yeah. I could see that, but I don't think it's just going to happen in the average neighborhood.
1: No, um, I, I, I couldn't see so either, but I just thought it it, it was, it was because, you know, honestly, if I go back whatever 10 years ago, I'm not thinking, well, taxi drivers will just be people in their cars. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I no. obviously I didn't I didn't know about, I didn't know that Uber would exist and Lyft and you know, all these really disruptive technologies. So who knows?
0: True. I don't know. Yeah, someone told me 10 years ago that I would be walking around with a thousand dollar piece of glass, probably in both hands, paying for water, paying for air, and jumping in a stranger's car to go who knows where and finally <laughs> paying them, I would say, "What are you talking You're about?" You're crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so I have a few follow-up questions, and then we'll. Um, uh, so I've got because uh, I know that we could talk about this. This sort of uh, uh, what's the word? Just thinking about the future. You know what's going to happen? Because um, I think about it a lot. That's what I lay awake thinking about. But I totally agree. Um, the interruptions of the supply chain um i think that tracking uh i don't think that retail is going to die off by the way i I've, I've seen a lot of that there are retailers who are dying you know you see these bankruptcies but um, they were
0: probably already on the way out right no, i totally I agree so.
1: mm-hmm. um but there's a reason that amazon bought whole foods and didn't shut it down you know what i mean so um but i agree uh, tracking the information shelf life uh, it's an interesting point about the food packaging. I didn't even think about the outer uh, sanitization. Sanitization, and then e-commerce is going to just continue to skyrocket and ramp up for sure. Um, okay, so uh, these questions are not related to packaging. Okay. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that your you mentioned your daughter. So how many kids do you have?
0: I have twins.
1: Okay. Mhm.
0: I'm I've, also a twin, but I have twins. So it nice. does not skip a generation to all those young twins out there that think they're not gonna have twins. It runs in the family. It's, it's... I have I have twin sisters. Oh, okay. So yeah, see, yep. it runs in the family.
1: Yeah, but they uh uh they have not either one of them has had neither one of them has had twins. So um and then you mentioned art and so uh that are are you still into um into art at all
0: so um since i moved back to detroit i've been i guess my artistic outlet right now has been redoing the house because the house is like 80 years old it's like uh it's really it's a really pretty house you know as far as the detail with stained glass and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. i'm repainting it i'm repainting the living room that was purple and yellow to a nice soft blue gray which you can kind of see in the background
1: yeah were um, they were they Lakers fans or I don't think so. It was purple and yellow.
0: Yeah, because the floor, the carpet was dark blue. The blinds were white and gold, and then they had really nice can lighting. But they had multicolored bulbs in the can lighting. Wow. Yeah, so you know, I like why it's is eclectic. <laughs> it was so you know, but you know, I walk in, I'm like, this house is is just out of control, colorful, but the detail and the character of it, you know, once you. It's cool. Yeah. If you were colorblind, you can see that it's a nice house. Mm. So that's kind of been my outlet. You know, what, how am I going to reap? What color am I going to paint this? Um, eventually I am going to put in the basement, I'm going to put like an art studio. I have a lot of art supplies. Do you paint um, then? And how do you I do some painting? Um, let's see. Ignore. I'm stripping, stripping the paint off the.
1: That's fine. Oh, cool.
0: Um, that would be an example of, and that was just like a quick, cause I needed something on the mantle before I sold my last house. That just,
1: just throwing something together. Just, that's awesome. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> cause I look at, it like, oh, I'm going to redo that. So eventually I'm going to, you know, get all my paint stuff. I do paint, I do um, charcoal. Um, I've done stained glass. I've got like all the stained glass equipment, but you really hmm. have to, that you have to have a setup for that because It takes so long to set it up and tear it down. You really just need everything set up. Hmm. Um, Mostly acrylic and a little bit of oil. Wow. Uh, Watercolor. Like, one of my daughters is is artistic. Both are artistic. One is a writer and the other one draws and paints um, and does sculpture. But the one that does the, you know, art, fine arts, she um, can do watercolor. Okay. So He's clearly more patient than I am. It takes a lot of requires a lot of patience because it runs everywhere and you have to like, make sure you have the right amount of water. Yeah. But, yeah so and then I still, you know, I don't do it as much as I used to um, because with everything, you know, getting the business really up and running and then mm-hmm. COVID hitting and then just trying to get my house together. You know, the, the house has really been my artistic outlet right
1: now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I am a huge believer in you have to exercise that muscle if mm-hmm. if you want it to, you know, because I, I love um, spoken word, uh, like spoken word poetry. I just, I find it to be fast. I'll just start thinking through stuff and I'll just start writing it down. And um,
0: I noticed that as some <laughs> of you posts on LinkedIn.
1: I know, I know. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of it's, it's important to have, I think that sort of, that sort of outlet. Um, if, if it's something that you really value, it will, if it's a muscle that does not get exercised, it gets lost. Um, yes. and I think, I think that's really a travesty. So glad to hear that you are still doing it and I'm excited. Uh, one of these days. Um, so I collect, I, d- I do a lot of sneaker, uh, collections like you can see.
0: I see. Yes. Yeah, right see there. The one back there. Um, mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and the company StockX is based in Detroit, and so yeah, yes, I, uh, yes. I want to. I just want to get out there and like say hello to everybody and be like hi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I do want to go to Detroit. I've heard it's it's had a really a really cool renaissance. So uh, maybe one of the. How far is Wixom, Michigan?
0: Um, Wixom is probably about fifteen twenty minutes from me. It's a suburb.
1: Okay, the company sure. I work for has a facility there, so. Uh, maybe, maybe that'll be a fun reason to get out there, but
0: yeah, it's um, not far. Detroit's really easy to get around because of uh, being the motor city. We have the first freeways and you know, you get on a traffic jam and two minutes later, you are in an interchange. You can switch to a different freeway and get where you're going. Yeah.
1: I've flown to Detroit and then just driven out. I've never just spent time in Detroit. My sister-in-law lives in Traverse city. And so sometimes Sometimes flying to Detroit makes a lot of sense, so um, well, how do people get a hold of you for your for your, this one year old consulting company, and who are just really great contacts for you um, in case someone's listening to this and God bless you if you 've made it this long because uh, I think uh, I think it's awesome when people do that so what 's the best way obviously through linkedin i 'll make sure that your your contacts there, um, but what 's the best way and then who are who are really great contacts for you right now?
0: Yeah, so I think that um, LinkedIn is obviously the, the way most people are getting in touch with me. I have all my contact information there. Um, my cell phone is probably the next best way to get in touch with me. And my cell phone is 281-384-4483. Lots of threes, eights, and fours. 4483.
1: Yep. And do you want? Uh, do you prefer people to text you or do you just call you out of the blue?
0: Either way is fine. Okay. So Either way they're most comfortable. Um, okay. So I'll give you my email address, but it's really long, and I'm actually in the I've, process.
1: I've got it. I'll just I'll just copy it so okay. that no one has to write that down.
0: Yeah, because I'm in the process. So I started off as C two packaging, because my name's CC, right? And my mm-hmm. in my my maiden name was Core C O R R, like short for corrugated, right? Yeah. Hey, so, there you go. I like yeah. it. So when I moved back to Michigan, there's actually someone that, you know, we very similar background name was almost identical. So I changed my name when I registered my LLC to Indigo packaging and consulting. Okay. Cause I love blue. She probably can't already tell. I like so, that. um, that's, that's where I na- the name is Indigo packaging and consulting okay. But I need to change the website. I'm in the process of trying to get that done. Um, but so right now my website is c2consultingassociates.com.
1: Did you know that you can get a dot consulting extension? I can send that to you later.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've, I have seen people with that, but one of the things I'm doing is branching out because I can actually sell packaging now. Yeah. So especially with COVID and that's been the, probably the most common question people ask me when I network, Do you sell packaging. Yeah. So I thought, well, I guess I should do that. So one of the revamps to, to the website will be that I do have the ability to sell packaging as well.
1: Cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'll make sure that all that gets put in there. Right. Um, and uh, hopefully this is, uh, this is something that can help you out. Uh, I really just want to uh, help and serve in any way I can. So it's, it's, uh, I'm glad that your story is at least out there uh, in another format. Um, and so... Uh, I'm excited. I'm hoping that people will connect with you and because we just scratched the surface. Like you, you said a couple times, I could talk about this for, for hours. Um, for days. For days, yeah, for days. I, I've
0: done it for hours before I've spoken at <laughs> events, and the person in front of me finished in 10 minutes, and we all we had like 30 minutes. I'm like, how am I going to feel 15 I'm taking, minutes?
1: I'm taking that time. <laughs>
0: yeah, the person next to me nudged me and said, you'll be okay.
1: Yeah, you'll be all right.
0: <laughs> what when are you I you say?
1: When I would preach uh, at, in Colorado when I was a pastor, I would get, like, the the band always knew, like, it's going to go long. And even, like, the children's workers were, like, Adam's preaching. It's like, okay.
0: <laughs> like, did you get an extra orange before? The-
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Camille, thank you so much. Uh, you. Appreciate you getting on and um, looking forward to seeing all that you get to do in this in this consulting gig. So it's exciting. Yeah,
0: definitely. Thank you.
1: All right. All right. So I'll uh let me stop the recording.